Welcome to the Run for PRs podcast. This is your host, Victoria Phillippe. The Run for PRs podcast was created to give away the secrets to transform your training to reach your goals. We ask all the expert run coaches and athletes the questions that you've been dying to know the answers to. We will get the inside scoop on what really makes you the best athlete that you can be. Have you ever seen a fast runner and wonder, wow, how did they get so fast? Well, then this podcast is for you. We are going to do a deep dive to reveal the secrets to reaching your potential as a runner. How to find the perfect pair of running shoes. One of the most common questions we get as run coaches is what is the best running shoe out there? It is so crazy how many different brands and models of shoes there are on the market today when it comes to running shoes. We want to remove some of the confusion and help make recommendations on how you can find the perfect pair of running shoes for you. You may not like some of the same shoes that we like, and in fact, you probably won't like some of the shoes that we like, but we are giving you tips on how you can find the perfect shoe for your body, your stride, and your comfort level. We just have some practical tips that we've learned over the years when we're coming to find our perfect shoe. And what's really interesting about running shoes is they can change over time. So I've been running for about 10 years and over time I have gone from very, very high cushioned shoes to very minimalistic shoes and back to a little bit more of the cushioned shoe. Um, I've always been more in the neutral range but the model and brand of shoe that I have worn has really changed over the years, um, as it should, because as you, as you change and as you maybe grow or become faster, um, train for different events, the shoes that you are wearing will also change. Um, and a lot of the times, like our stride is changing, um, we become more efficient, all of these things. So over time, you might find that the shoes that you used to love just aren't doing it for you anymore and you want to try something new. Um, so we're talking a little bit about how you can find um, maybe like a new shoe or adding one to the rotation. We'll probably also touch on, you know, what is a shoe rotation because a lot of people like to know um, what that is and do they need to have more than one shoe. Um, so Yeah. Jason, over the 20 years of your running career, what are the different shoes that you've loved? Um, Have there ever been any consistency or does it tend to change? Yeah, I feel like I have kind of of gone through phases where I stick with a brand for maybe like one to three years and then I just kind of move, move on to something else. So thinking back to when I started, I think it was really into like Asics for a while. That was kind of like the go-to shoe in the late 90s, early 2000s. Um, you know, they had the 2100 series that just kind of went up by 10 every year and you just get the next, the next shoe. It was just the all around versatile, um, you know, cushion shoe. I think it had some mild stability in there as well, but, um, eventually I gave Brooks a try and then I wore that for a few years and then kind of sh- shifted over to, um, Adidas kind of coming out of college. And then, um, after that kind of made the jump, uh, well, actually we wore Saucony Convaris there for a few years too, before I got back into, or started wearing Nike and Nike's kind of been where I've been at here for the last few years. Um, so yeah, I've kind of worn all like the big brands, the one shoe I, I don't think I've ever really worn is New Balance. Um, and then I've never worn the shoes like Alt- Ultra and stuff like that. I've just kind of mm-hmm. stuck to the general brands. 
Um, never worn Newtons. Uh, I did wear one Pearl Izumi once, but so yeah, kind of, kind of more of the, the Brooks Asics, um, Adidas, Nike, those have kind of been the top four. And I know the shoes that we both loved as of recent, the last few years were like the Flyknit. Um, I think they, they're the Flyknit, um, Fly Flyknits are called, the Nike Fly Flyknits. So they were kind of the training shoe that came out um, after the um, 4% were released, the original 4%. So those were the ones that we really liked. Um, and then they stopped making them. So that was kind of the reason we, we needed to find a different trainer. And so right now, recently, I've kind of shifted to, um, I, I wore the Infinity because that's another Nike shoe, the Infinity React. I liked them, but I just didn't feel like they were... Um, you know, a favorite shoe. So I've, I picked up a pair of those endorphin speeds by Saucony and I really love them. So I'm kind of wearing those right now as my fast shoe for workouts and anytime I want to do, yeah, any sort of tempo run. Whoa, that was like brand and model name overload right there. So I think as you can hear and tell, there are just so many different types of running shoes out there. Um, And, you know, for people who maybe are just so new to this and they're like, what is he talking about? Infinities and 4% flying it. Like, there's just so many words, right? Like, it's like really overwhelming even just listening to you. And I kind of know what you're talking about. But the biggest thing I think people are confused usually when they don't have like a big running background is, okay, there's like the brands and then there's the models, right? So within each brand, so the big brands that everyone's probably all heard of, right, are going to be Nike, Asics, Adidas, uh, Hoka, Brooks, Saucony, you know, all ultra i'm not i'm not sure new balance um there's just all of the big you know brands and within each of those brand there are different models of shoes and that's where things can get really whoa and that's kind of what you were saying is the infinity the fly knit the four percent the five percent the alpha fly like the infinity fly react like the zoom romero's right like all of these shoe models within one brand um and what do they mean right like what does that mean what why is it called a flying it like why do they name it the way that they do but really within every brand um there are shoes that pretty much are the same exact type of shoe right so you know we look at the four percent maybe is the easiest one to talk about right so nike came out with this nike four percent shoe a couple years ago um and it's just like this really foamy, uh, it, it has a lot of bounce to it. It's what all like, you know, the people are wearing when they qualify for the Olympic trials. They say it's like the best shoe on the market, yada, yada, right? So Nike comes out with that. And then obviously what's going to happen next? Well, the rest of the running brand shoes are going to come up with their version of that shoe, right? So I would describe that 4% shoe as like a neutral, um, more of a lighter weight. It's a marathon shoe. Um, more of like a racing shoe. So it's something you're going to use on faster days. Uh, and then you go and you see Hoka came out with that Carbon X. And it's, it's, the same, it's the same type of shoe, right? So it's the same similar drop. It's going to be a lighter shoe, good for marathon. It's, it's all the same thing. Like we're rattling off all of the same information. And then Saucony just recently came out with their version of, you know, has the foam in it. Uh, and I think Brooks now has one. And so what you see happen is there's 
the first one that comes out and then everyone else creates their same exact um, version of that shoe. And so there are some that like are hard to replicate, but pretty much you could go into a running store near your house with your favorite shoe and say, I like this shoe. Can you show me this shoe in a different brand? And they'll be like, oh yeah, yep. And they'll, they'll pull out that other brands of shoe models that you had no idea existed that are very, very similar in build to the shoe that you have. Um, and so that's why I think it can be really confusing is because a lot of the shoes are the same um, when it goes from brand to brand. But most likely, you probably don't know that, right? Like, let's say your favorite shoe is the Brooks Ghost. You don't know that Saucony also has a shoe that's exactly like the Brooks Ghost, right? Because you haven't asked, and why would you? Because you think, oh, Brooks, they have my favorite shoe. But really, it's not Brooks that has your favorite shoe. It's that you like whatever it is about that, that Ghost model. It works really well for your shoe, um, so chances are you're probably actually not going to find another shoe in Brooks that's going to be that similar to the Brooks Ghost. So it almost might make sense to go over to like a Nike or Asics, Adidas and say, hey, is there anything similar to this shoe that you think I might like? Um, because they probably have something that maybe is just a little bit different um, of a feel, but super similar. Um, and that's where you're really going to find like your next favorite shoe, right? So, uh, do you ever have times like that where you're just like, I'm ready for a new shoe or how do you like make the switch? Like, let's say you switch over from, you know, you said you were into the Saucony Convaros. What made you want to like switch out of that shoe or were you just like bored with it or what happens? Yeah, that's a good example to ask. Cause that, that shoe, and we'll get into heel to toe drop here in a while, but that shoe had a lower heel to toe, to toe drop um, at four millimeters. So I was just kind of noticing um, a lot of extra calf soreness and I was uh, I kept having like recurring calf injuries. So the people at the shoe store recommended going with a higher um, heel to toe drop ratio. So I went with, I, w- I just tried a new shoe that was higher, like around 10. And so that's kind of what brought me out of that, that particular shoe. I'm um, thinking back to like when um, before it seemed like all the companies started copying each other, you know, each company had their own signature, like material that they would make the cushioning system out of, right? Like, so Nike always used air and J- ASX used gel. And, um, you know, one company I know used similar material that was used to make tennis rackets and Mizuno used like a wave system. And so they all kind of were unique and now, um, and they all could offer shoes to fit each type of runner, right? Like the, the neutral runner, um, who doesn't really pronate and then the stability shoe runner who maybe has some mild pronation, which means they turn inward when they step. Um, and then like a motion controlled shoe, which is for people who really have severe over pronation. So each model, each brand has several different names of shoes, um, that would fit each category. Um, so when you go into your running store, um, you know, back then it was more about kind of the brand, right? And now it's more like, like you said, um, if you like this specific shoe, like the Kinvara, what's something similar, but maybe has a higher heel to toe drop. And that's where I kind of shifted out of it. And I, I think I found, um, I think we went to Brooks launch first and then I ended up at Nike. Um, but for me now, it's more about like figuring out the shoe that feels the most comfortable on my foot. Um, and that's kind of why we really like the, that foam feeling that Nike shoes have. Yeah, that was a lot of information in there. So you you chatted a little bit about the three categories of shoes. So there's the neutral category, and then pronation, 
And what's... Uh, uh, stability and motion control. So stability and motion control. So there's three different categories. And chances are you're going to fall into one of the three. I think that neutral is probably going to be the most common. Um, that's that's where like the Nike 4%s come into play. Um, it's where mm, a lot of the models will come into play. But it's very important that if you are a neutral runner, um, that you do not go into a stability shoe or a motion control shoe. You need to stay in the neutral category because if you go in the wrong type of shoe, um, what, what will happen and why are those shoes designed the way that they are? What do they do, um, the stability and motion control shoes? Well, they would help you run, um, you know, from, from looking at like heel to toe, they will help you stay more even in terms of like your pronation. So they're not going to um, they're going to overcorrect the pronation, I guess. So if you pronate a lot, that's where you don't want to just be in a neutral shoe because you could end up getting hurt. Um, you want to have something that has a little bit more, um, you know, and I'm not a shoe expert, but I've learned over time, like whatever, however they're designed, they're designed to help kind of keep you more, um, balanced on your foot so that you can just have a better heel to toe, um, uh, cycle. And basically that will be easier on your joints. Now, if you, um, don't need that because you don't pronate, then yeah, I, I'd say, I don't know the percentages, but a big chunk of runners are probably in the neutral. And then, um, there might be some people that need a little bit of mild stability just for, especially if they're getting into the sport of running. Um, I think very few people these days need the motion control type shoes, but, um, yeah. And then once you're in the neutral, then there's all sorts of shoes, um, looking at like how much cushion is offered. Right. And like the, that's where we'll get in the heel to toe drop too. That can vary so much. So now it becomes more about like your preference, um, and what feels right, right to you. Some people like a more minimal shoe feel and others like more of a, um, you know, just more of like a stack height underneath their foot between the ground and their foot. Yeah, that was a lot of information there. I remember uh, Perry Bach, who is the owner of Run and Fun. Um, he was kind of the first person that explained the differences in the there's three different shoe categories to me, right? So it was like the neutral, and then this what is it? The stability. And then the motion control. And basically he was like, whoa, you do not want to go into the stability or motion control if you don't need them because it'll like create a problem for you that didn't exist, right? So it's going to like rotate your foot a certain way. Mm -hmm. um, and then it's going to like ruin your stride. So you, let's say you have like a perfect stride, right? Like it's going to make you do um, things that are like bad with your stride. So you, it's really important to make sure you're in the right category. And what he said is it's actually better to be in a neutral shoe if you're unsure. So let's say you're like, you kind of need a stability. He, in, in his opinion, was like, well, you should just go with the neutral shoe because your body's going to, it's, it's more neutral, right? It's, it's going to correct itself over time um, as you as you run more. It's really only for people who have like a very um, big issue with the stability or motion control that should be in those categories of shoe. And I think just doing like a simple um, get analysis when you're at the running store and asking them to look at you, they're going to be able to tell right away what category of shoe you're in. But I think for the most part, you're safe. You're safer with neutral than you are in the other two categories, um, is what he said. So I was always like, well, okay, when in doubt, neutral shoe. Um, and then obviously the different heel to toe drop was the other thing that you're, you were coming in to, um, to talk about. And I don't really understand, um, that concept much. Uh, so what is a heel to toe 
drop and why is it important? Yeah, so it's basically just a measurement. Um, it's the difference between how high the shoe is in the heel versus the forefoot, right? So when you picture a shoe, um, you know, the average shoe is about like eight to 10 millimeter difference from the heel to the forefoot. So the heel will be raised eight to 10 millimeters higher than, than it is in the forefoot, um, which is like towards the, you know, towards your toes. So um, that's kind of the average shoe, like the Brooks launch, for example, is 10 millimeters, uh, which means your heel sits up 10 millimeters higher than the forefoot. Um, and then there are some shoes that are more minimal, like Hoka has a few, and Alt, I think Ultra has a, a few as well that are four or less even. I know um, Ultra's got some of those zero drop shoes, which basically would mean your heel and your forefoot are the same height. Um, so that's kind of for people that like more of, um, you know, the, the feeling of what it's like to run naturally, right? Um, and I know that there was a big, uh, big kind of influx in, in um, interest for those types of shoes after the, the Born to Run book um, helped spark that barefoot running movement and minimalism movement um, over a decade ago. But a lot of people, a lot of advocates um, said that, that that drop encourages more like, or having a minimal drop or no drop encourages more natural foot and ankle motion and evenly distributes your, your forces when you run. Um, but so it was kind of like a preference thing, but I think now shoes are kind of coming back to the most common is like that eight to 12 range, eight to 10, a lot of the shoes. And I did do a little research before this, just to give you some idea. Um, like the alpha flies, those are four, four millimeters. So they're kind of low, but a lot of like the trainers that people are going to wear, like the infinity reactor, Nike Pegasus, Nike Flynets, those are all 10, 10 or eight or 10. So, um, Kinvara was four as well. Uh, Hoka, they have some that are higher and some that are right in the middle. It just kind of depends on if you like the Clayton versus Clifton and stuff. So, um, one website that I like to look at is the running shoe guru. It just gives you, um, it gives you pros and cons of each shoe, just like a few bullets. And then it tells you the weight of every shoe and then it tells you the, the heel to toe drop. So, um, sometimes I'll pull that up right when I'm in the store, just to get an idea, especially now that I don't really want to wear the, um, the lower millimeter drops anymore, just because I found that it's kind of harder on my, my calves. Um, so I'll make sure that the shoe that I'm looking at is higher, like at least like eight or 10. Um, and I like to see weight too. So I think that that's a great website that just does a good job analyzing most shoes. Um, most shoes are on there. You can just search by the shoe. Well, super interesting. I have actually never been on this website before this, uh, website, the running shoe guru, um, I think this is like an excellent site for people to kind of research the shoe because before that I was trying to Google a heel toe drop and nothing was really popping up. So yeah, definitely check out this website. Um, that can definitely help you figure out like the, the category of shoe, that heel to toe, like they, they figure it out for you. They have all that data. Um, so you don't need to like be Google searching, trying to find it. Um, so that's running shoes guru. Um, but yeah, I, I totally agree with what you're saying. So like that heel toe drop, I do think really became more popular with that barefoot running surge. Uh, maybe, I don't know, was that like about 10 years ago now that, that became like a really big thing and people were um, running in those like, what were they called? Like the v Vibram, Vibrams, yeah. Vibram something where it was basically, they were running barefoot. It was just like this weird like sandal like shoe. Um, so a lot of people really wanted to do like, no drop, right? They wanted to be as close to the barefoot running as possible because it was like, quote unquote, the most natural way, all of those good things. 
Um, but like you're saying, you're someone who is calf, um, Achilles injury prone. Um, it's been something that's flared up for you several times over the years. Um, so it's actually harder on your body to have a low drop like, like that. And so you need to really be avoiding, um, shoes and that's what your PT has, you know, prescribed for you. Um, and that's just really good information to know because that can help you prevent injuries and stay healthy for longer if you're in the correct type of shoe. So you don't want to log too many miles. You know, if you're someone who's prone to calf injuries and like the lower leg, um, you want to be looking at maybe a higher heel to toe, uh, drop. So what, what like a 12, um, and then really just making sure you have enough support in there, um, for that calf. Cause the more you're going to be, you know, it, it's such a stress on your body to be running. So if you're, if you're in a shoe that can just like take the load off your calf just a little bit, um, it's really going to go a long way. Uh, for me personally, I've never <clears throat> had calf related injuries at all. Um, lower extremity, it just doesn't, uh, I don't get, um, those sort of injuries that most of whatever flare ups I've ever had are, um, back, hip, uh, or IT band related. They're all kind of in the upper leg. So for me, I've been able to really go after those low drop shoes, no issue. Um, and it's really, it's just varies from person to person, um, based on your anatomy. Um, some people I think just for whatever reason have a little bit more delicate, um, lower legs than others. Um, some people can really just get away with the lower drop shoes. And so that's why it's really important to find a shoe that works for you, right? So your friend may be able to get away with running in the, in the Vibram fives and or barefoot running or something that's really low to the ground. Um, maybe just because their calf is built in a different way that can handle that load constantly. Um, whereas someone like Jason, uh, who's been running, you know, for 20 years still needs to have a higher heel to toe drop just because the, the way his calf is, um, it, he just needs more support to be able to handle, um, running the mileage that he wants to run. So it's really important to know that factor coming into play. So if you're someone that has struggled with lower leg injuries, definitely check that heel toe drop. It can be a huge game changer. And I think, you know, maybe that's something that you didn't learn until 10 years into your running career, but it can really um, help you. So have you ever had like a gait analysis done by um, like a PT or anything that's a little bit more in depth than someone just like watching you run? And what was kind of the result of that? Yeah, I have. I've done two. One was in person, I guess. Well, they're both in person, but one, uh, the person actually was at the shoe store and they recommended the shoes. Um, and so they put me kind of, that was in the Pearl Izumi back. Um, actually, she put me in a Nike Vermero. So this is an interesting story. I got a gait analysis done um, the, the year right before I ran Chicago Marathon. Um, this was literally like two, two weeks two weeks before the race um, was my first like in-person gait analysis. And it was at a store in Minnesota and she was, she's a biomechanics uh, degree and that sort of thing. And she was just really good at helping look for, um, you know, looking, looking at all your mechanics when you run. And she just recommended that I need to be in this shoe to kind of correct this problem. I need something a little bit more cushion. Um, and I had some hips that were misaligned, that sort of thing. So she put me in the Vimero and I thought it was a little kind of, weird thinking about changing shoes, um, literally like, you know, three to four runs before my marathon. Um, so I did a few short runs in them and I went and ran the marathon felt great. Um, so I guess, I guess I trusted her expertise because I didn't have any problems during the marathon. Um, so that was the first time. And I think I went back to her once a few years later and and then she realized I was stronger. I needed less of a cushion shoe. Um, 
the second time or the other time, I guess, would be at an expo once we did. Uh, Brooks did something where they videotaped you and then they kind of showed you based on their uh, technology, like what shoe that they would recommend for you that they have. So um, and I think at the time it was the, the Brooks launch and that was a shoe I had been wearing. So that one worked out good. Um, so those are kind of the times I had gotten more extensive gait analysis done. Um, you probably have to dig a little deeper to find those in your area. Uh, a lot of times at the running store, they might just do something a little bit more, you know, on the, on the shorter minimum side. And as far as watching you run, walk, rolling up your pant legs, looking for that ankle rotation, uh, maybe doing a body squat, those sorts of things. That's kind of what they'll use to determine what, what shoe to put you in. Um, so yeah, that's kind of my experience with that. Yeah, I definitely think the gait analysis, I've really only had like one or two done in my lifetime, Um, but really they were at points of desperation, right? Like I'm either injured or I just like want to really be able to run more, whatever it is. It was usually as a result of an injury, let's be honest, but um, I found them to be helpful just because at the time I didn't have any sort of knowledge on shoes, what I should be running in, that sort of thing. It was very limited. Um, so I did find the advice helpful. And so I think, you know, gait analysis can be useful if you fall into that category of maybe you're just having a lot of injuries, things are flaring up, you're getting frustrated and you really don't feel confident in the shoes that you're wearing. Um, you know, I, over the years now, since I have had that one gait analysis that was done, um, I've learned so much about running shoes. And so it's hard for me to say like, yeah, I probably wouldn't ever get one now just because, I, I feel like I know kind of what, what's wrong with my, my own personal gait. So if you're someone who's like just really, really into running shoes, maybe you don't need one. But if you're someone that just doesn't really have a lot of knowledge and, and you're looking for like more information, I think it's really important to find someone who's doing these gait analysis that's really good at them, has a lot of experiences, and can give good recommendations to you. Because the last thing you want to do is, you know, have the good analysis and then not really be given feedback as to what sort of footwear you should be wearing and all of those things. So it's important to really research that, I think, beforehand. Um, and then obviously know what you're you're going to be getting out of it. So it, um, is it someone who's been working at a running shoe store for like one year? Or is it someone who's been, you know, has a degree in exercise science, has a gait analysis, um, background and also understands running shoes. So it's really important to know what you're going to get out of it. And then to ask for those recommendations and just say, you know, I'm really looking to figure out what sort of shoe or what sort of inserts I should be, um, having in my shoes, all those things. So, uh, is, I, I know a lot of people, you know, with, COVID going on and and online, everything's online now. Um, What are the benefits to, you know, trying to shoot on in person versus buying online? And where do you think people can run into trouble when they just are like buying a shoe online that that they've never um, actually worn? Yeah, I definitely wouldn't recommend that. Um, Even in, in in this day and age, I would always go into the store if you're looking at changing a new shoe. The only time we've ordered online is when it's literally the same model, same size. Um, you know what you're getting, you know it's going to fit well. Um, but going in is nice because you get to try on a few different options and then you can, you know, a lot of times they have a space for you to run in or there's a treadmill or some stores will let you go run outside, you know, for a couple blocks or whatever you want to do take them for a little test run. So it's nice to be able to try some on, get a feel for them, get their feedback too, you know, based on watching you run. Um, especially if you're unsure, this is kind of new for you. Um, but it, for me, it always kind of came down to the comfort. Once I 
figured out I was in the right, um, you know, shoe category. And then it had the right millimeter to toe drop, heel to toe drop. Um, I would kind of go off of comfort. Then I looked at weight as a factor. Cause I like, I like lightweight shoes. Um, but really I just like something that feels really light on my feet and comfortable. And, um, I think buying them in person is nice, especially, um, you know, for all those reasons. But the other benefit would be like, if, if you, let's say you were kind of really leaning towards two and you couldn't make a decision. You just made one spur of the moment. Then you get home later. Um, and you realize like, Oh, I did a few runs in them and now something's hurting. Right. So, um, that can, there can be a little adjustment period there where it can take some time for your body to adapt. Um, or maybe you just realize you don't like something because it's tighter on your foot or it's causing a blister. Um, I, I remember I bought a pair of shoes that was hurting the bottom of my feet. Um, they're likely to take them back as long as, you know, you continue to purchase a different pair through them. Um, especially if you've only ran on the treadmill and they look brand new and the soles aren't worn down at all, they'll take them back. But some stores have like a, you know, they'll say like 10 miles or 20 miles or less. They want to be ran on the shoes before they, you know, or they won't accept them back anymore. So you can ask that policy as far as the return goes for each store as well. Yeah, I think that's really important. And just understanding that, you know, these local running stores in your area are literally staffed with people that understand shoes on a level that we can't even begin to understand. Neither one of us have ever worked in a running shoe store. Uh, But, you know, the people that work there, they're just, they know their shoes. Um, So I would definitely go to the local running store and just try them on, right? I mean, it's, it's free to try on as many shoes as you want when you're there. And, and that's the best way you're going to be able to figure out if it's a good shoe for you or not. Cause we can sit here and talk about the three different categories of shoes, right? Oh, it's a stability. Oh, it's neutral motion control, blah, 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 blah. You can look on shoe guru, whatever website that was and say, Oh, it looks like it's a good heel to toe drop. But the reality is when you go to try it on, that's when you're going to know, right? Like, cause I've tried on so many shoes where I'm like, I'm going to love this shoe. And then it's like, oh my gosh, I hate this shoe. Like it just feels weird. Um, Cause like the upper part that is so, it's so different on every shoe. And sometimes it like rubs weird or sometimes you just need like a different size. Sometimes you're just like, I don't like this. And you don't know why you can't really explain it or it's harder than you thought it would be softer than you thought it would be. Um, and, and the ones that you do like end up surprising you. So I think there is that aspect of you do have to try it on and see if you like it, right? Like you can't just order it online. Um, so I think going into the store, trying it on, trying it on on their treadmill and really giving it a test drive before you purchase any shoe. I definitely do not think anyone should really be purchasing running shoes online. Um, go into your local running store for a number of reasons. First of all, you're supporting small businesses, which is good. Second of all, you're actually able to talk to the people in the store about what shoe is best for you um, and answer any questions that come up. Like, hey, how many miles can I run on this shoe, right? Like these are important questions or, hey, like, do you think this is a good shoe for me? Literally asking them because then they're the ones who are going to be able to give you that expert response and they, they really know their shoes and they want you to ask the questions, right? So we've asked, you know, millions of questions to these people over the years and they're definitely um, very helpful and able to guide you in the right direction for that. And also you could go in there with your favorite shoe right now and say, Hey, I want to add another shoe to my collection. I like this shoe. What do you suggest? They just come out with like boxes of shoes and you're like, whoa, okay, this is service, right? So not only are they helping you find the correct shoe, um, they're also going to be able to watch you run, see if it's a good shoe for you, all that stuff. And you're supporting small businesses, but also 
chances of you being able to get some sort of a discount because you're involved in a local running club or those sort of things are definitely higher at a running shoe store than, um, you know, online. And definitely you should not be going to like runner's warehouse and just like going and whatever on sale. Oh, that's what I purchased. Like, do not just buy shoes because they're on sale. This is your running shoe. It's the one piece of equipment that you really need for running. So take it seriously um, and really take the time. So what are some sort of questions that you would ask to the shoe rep at the store? Um, yeah, I definitely like the question you said about how many miles would I expect to get out of this shoe? Um, looking at the durability factors, I like to kind of, you know, not like I'm quizzing them, but I like to see if they know what the heel to toe drop is. That way I know, like if they know what they're talking about, because if they seem hesitant or unsure, then I'm like, well, how much do you really know about the shoe? So that's something they should probably know about most shoes. Um, you know, there's usually they'll start talking lingo that you don't really understand. Like they'll talk about responsiveness or the upper or the mesh or something. And then you're just, you kind of get lost. So that's a good sign that they seem to know what they're talking about too. But, um, I want to know what, how is this shoe, um, maybe comparable to like the old shoe that I was wearing or how is it different? That sort of thing. Um, but like you said too, maybe if you like a certain shoe and you want to wear it, let's say your shoe is kind of like your everyday use trainer, like a Pegasus, you know, you might want something a little bit lighter and faster for workouts. So you would kind of ask them what's a good compliment to this shoe um, or vice versa. Like right now I'm running in the endorphin speed by Saucony. And that's kind of a shoe that should be reserved for more of your faster runs. I know it's kind of seen as a more expensive shoe as well. So I could probably get something that's more of a daily trainer, um, you know, to log in my easy miles in. So that's kind of, those are the questions that I have tend to ask over the years. Yeah, I think that's a pretty solid question. And I think that's something that a lot of people also will ask. You know, I get this question a lot on the Instagram or from athletes and they'll be like talking about shoe rotation, right? Or like how many shoes should I have in my rotation? Or do I need a different workout shoe for my workout day versus my easy day? And, and that's kind of like a loaded question. Um, I guess, what is your response to that? Do you need to have different shoes? And what, how, do you, how do you find the different shoes? What sort of shoes do you pick for the different days? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I sometimes rotate. It really just depends on like what else I have going on and if I had a chance to get to the running store recently. Um, I tend to, I guess, wear a, a pair of shoes probably all out for a few, you know, like a few weeks stretch and then I might move on to a, a different pair. But I... I think it's definitely beneficial to wear two different shoes, especially since, you know, we, we don't always know like, um, you know, the heel to toe drop millimeter or the stack height, like what shoe might be best for our, our biomechanics and all of that. So it's good to kind of have something that's slightly different to offer, um, you know, different way to strengthen. Like for example, the, you know, those, those lower millimeter shoes we're talking about, they might be okay for like your occasional workouts and stuff, but they do put a little aggressive load on the calves and the Achilles. Um, and you know, you typically, you typically are going to want a shoe with a higher stack height so that your hips and your knees take more of the force and the impact, um, especially on your easy days. Um, so it'll direct more stress upward. Um, so that might be a benefit of having like two different types of shoes. So you could have one that's a little bit more, um, a little more minimal in terms of either stack height or heel to toe drop. And then one that's a little bit more higher, it's going to offer you a little bit better protection. Yeah, no, that's a really good advice. And I think a lot of people will ask that because they feel like, 
you know, do I have to? And the answer is no, you definitely do not have to have more than one shoe in rotation at a time. Um, I think if you wore the same shoe every day, you'd be fine. But I think the benefits to having more than one shoe, so you'd probably have like a heavier shoe for, you know, your easy days, recovery days, maybe long run days. Um, and then you'd have like more of like a speedier shoe, kind of like you were saying with the shorter heel toe drop. Um, and maybe these are something like you would race. And so you, I always think like you have your fast shoe and then you have your everyday shoe. So, you know, like your easy running shoe and then your fast running shoe. So for me, I rotate between, I don't even know what I wear my everyday. It's like the fly, the zoom fly, flying it, the zoom fly, flying it. Um, I also sometimes used to do like a Brooks launch, Brooks, yeah, Brooks launch, um, or like a Saucony Canvara would be, you know, just like an everyday shoe for me. And then when I would do like my workouts, I do something that's like a really low drop. Um, I used to have like very, very, um, low racing flats from Brooks. So, I mean, when we're talking like a, like a two is the drop. Um, so you're just really low to the ground and there's just not a lot of support there. So it's something that you really only want to use, um, very sparingly, right? So you're only going to do a little bit of mileage in them. Um, just like, you know, 20% of your weekly mileage should be your workouts. Um, and 80% should be easy. So you're really reserving it just for those harder effort sessions. Now, um, I've kind of switched over to the alpha flyer, like the 4%, um, or the next percent or whatever. Um, they have a little bit, uh, more support, I think. So you can get away with doing a little bit more mileage in them, but at the same time, they are very expensive. So I don't really want to, you know, wear a $300 pair of running shoes that are only going to last for, you know, 200, 300 miles, um, very often. So I use them sparingly, uh, but I think, there's a lot of benefits to rotating out. Obviously, the first one being less stress on the lower extremities, like the calf, all that stuff. But then also just for like a mental perspective, I think putting on um, like a singlet and like putting on like your racing flats, those uh, those like act of doing that puts you in a different mindset um, when you're going for a hard workout versus an easy day, you just kind of have a different shoe. So it's almost like just putting on a uniform, right? It's like that these are my fast shoes and it can really just help you mentally with like a little extra boost knowing that they're going to, you know, help you run a little bit faster. And, and they really do. So the 4%, um, that shoe, they do help you run faster and any sort of racing flat that's going to be um, a lighter shoe and a lower heel to toe drop is probably going to help you run a little bit faster just because it's lighter weight, right? Like, so you have less weight on your feet and it's lower to the ground. So you're going to be running more on your toes. And anytime you're running on your toes, um, that is when you're really going to be able to run faster paces. Cause if you ever look at sprinters when they're running around the track, like they're you're really on your toes. So that is what can be beneficial for having, two different shoes. Uh, but it's definitely not a requirement. Um, like obviously you could run the alpha flies every day if you wanted to, right. But that would just become really expensive. And I don't know how long you could sustain doing that. Cause those, those shoes are kind of hard to find, but also you don't need to have like a racing flat. Right. So I think a lot of that, obviously, like I said, is mental. So, you know, maybe it gives you an extra few seconds per mile, but you can run fast in shoes that 
are very heavy and bulky and all of those things. I mean, you got to think back to, you know, like the days of like Steve Prefontaine, like what was the shoe technology like back then? Probably not very good, right? Like he didn't have no 4% that he was running in for um, his races. And, you know, I think it just, it goes back to like, do you really need to have, you know, the, all these different shoes and all different gadgets and, Um, the answer is probably no, but I mean, every little bit counts, you know, sometimes bicyclists, triathletes, like, you know, like they invest $10,000 on a bike, uh, just to get like a little bit, a little bit faster, right? They want to be a little bit more aerodynamic, a little bit, um, a little bit lighter, a little bit extra edge. And I think for runners, they like to splurge on their shoes. And I think that's really why like the alpha flies and and the 4%, all that stuff, they, they kind of took off. Cause it's like the one thing runners can do where it's like, Oh, it's my little extra gear. Um, I can splurge on this and and it um, helps me feel faster and it, it helps me, you know, run a little bit faster. Uh, so do you personally think that the Alpha Flies, like a $300 pair of shoe, um, are worth it uh, for marathon runners or just road runners? Um, and like, what are the benefits of that shoe and why is it such a big deal? Do I think they're worth it? Um, I... I do. I definitely think, you know, there's something about just putting them on the way they hug your feet. You know, you feel fast, you feel quick and maybe it's just, yeah, they, they've spent so much time just like, um, doing tests and engineering, like figure out like what, what most people are going to find comfortable on their feet. Um, you know, compared to like what a general running shoe would feel like. And so I think they've done a good job of trying to figure out, you know, how to meet those needs for runners and, um, I do think I do think it can help, especially you know, and that's the reason I think that they're getting um, labeled as um, the Alpha Flies recently. They're over a certain stack height, which means they're not able to be used. I think at certain races, um, oh, on the track, right? So the USA Track and Field set that standard. Um, good thing they're still able to be used for marathons, but um, the higher the stack height, you know, the the shoe's just going to absorb more impact than than what our body is. So I think that's kind of the the benefit there is, and the, the reason you saw so many more people qualify for the Olympic trials in, in um, 20, 2020 was because, probably because of the, sh- you know, all the different technology advancements in the shoes, not just Nike, but other brands too, having their own form and just allowing their body to just, like you said, get that little extra edge. Um, and I've listened to other podcasts too before of people just debating it. Does it really matter and that sort of thing? And we always know that, yeah, there are some athletes that are going to, um, do fine without it, right? Like the, the pre's of the world, like they're Galen Rupp, I'm sure doesn't need those shoes. But for those athletes that were like super close or right on the bubble, like, yeah, it can give them those extra just couple minutes, um, even, you know, five seconds a mile that adds up over time and that can get them over that bubble. So um, I think, I think they're worth it if you can afford it. And if you find value in them, you know, trying to help you reach a certain level with your running. Yeah, I think that was really well said, you know, they are worth it depending on, you know, your, your goals and your ability level currently. And I think you reach a point in your running career, um, where, you know, you spend an entire year just hoping to shave off two seconds per mile off of any of your PRs. Right. And so that's, that's, uh, that's not a lot, right. A lot, a lot can go wrong. A lot of room for error there. Two seconds per mile training for 12 months. I mean, that's, that's pretty sad, right? (laughs) I mean, when you look at the trajectory there, you're like, wow, like, you know, the inches are just so, they're so small. Whereas when you first start running, it's like, oh my God, I saw a five minute, uh, 5k PR. And you're like, what? Like, how is that even possible? Right. I'm looking for a five second, 5k PR now. 
Uh, because you, it, it's the law of diminishing returns, right? So, you know, you, you work harder to a point and then it's like, you just, you have to put in so much more work to see, um, the results. And so I think a lot of people kind of reach that um, point where they're, they're peaking, they're, they're getting really close there. Like the Olympic trials qualifiers, um, a lot of people can get really, really close to an OTQ, right? Like they can get really close, but there's a reason why it's an OTQ, right? It's, it's, uh, really hard to get. Um, and it's just outside of the reach of most people who, um, you know, cause for whatever reason, it must just be like that law of diminishing your turn. But then as soon as you get a product on the market, such as, you know, the alpha fly, uh, I do think, you know, for a lot of people and the mechanics that people run, I mean, it has been proven in labs that it like stops this ankle rotation and it's very, very slight, but, um, you know, that, that efficiency that it's improving, it's, it's like five seconds per mile, right? Which you say five seconds per mile, that does not sound like a lot, especially, you know, someone who's a beginner. It's like, what is 15 seconds in a 5k, you know, but that's a lot. Like for people like me and you, I'm like, Oh, sign me up. Like I will take 15 seconds in a 5k. Like I would bust training for two years to take 15 seconds off in a 5k. And so I think it just really depends on like your perspective point. Right. So if you're someone where you're like 15 seconds in a 5k, like (laughs) that's nothing guys, like, come on, then probably not like worth it for you. Right. But if, if you're someone who's like every, you want to get like every second stretches up every inch, um, you kind of get desperate, right? So you're like, all these alpha flies are so awesome. I'm going to spend $300 on them. Um, and they actually, they do help, with just getting over that little hump. And so I think that's why a lot of the Olympic trials qualifiers really liked the shoe because it's like, it just gave them that extra edge. And it was like, what, you know, five seconds per mile over 26.2 miles. (laughs) That's a lot. That's, you know, I don't even know. What is it? Two minutes, three minutes. Um, So that was the difference between um, not getting the OTQ or getting it. Right. And so when you say five seconds per mile, it doesn't sound like a lot, but for these people, when they've been trying to get that for, you know, their whole life and all of a sudden a shoe comes out that, that can help them reach that next level. They're definitely getting it. Um, and so I think it can be definitely beneficial, especially if you're, you're looking to really hit a specific time goal, like an OTQ. Um, if you're trying to get a BQ, I think anything that you can do to get yourself to a faster pace is going to help you. So it just depends on your goals, but definitely something to look into in terms of running shoes. So hopefully this was helpful. Definitely encouraging you guys to get out there, visit your local running shoe store and kind of ask all of the questions and get fitted into something that's perfect for you. So you might find that you hate all of the shoes that we were talking about. You might be more of like an Asics um, 1000 or whatever model that is. Um, we just tend to sway a little bit towards um, the Nike and Saucony, Brooks, um, a little bit more of like the neutral shoe, but maybe you're more of like a Brooks Ravenna uh, type of runner. So it just is going to vary from person to person. There is no perfect running shoe. There is no running shoe that's the most highly recommended out there. It's very custom to each person. So the perfect running shoe for me is not going to be the same for you. So just really encouraging you to kind of do what feels right for your body and researching the shoe that works best for you. So if you ever have any questions for us, or you want to try a free seven day trial of training, you can go to runforprs.co, fill out the form there and start with a free seven day trial. So thanks for tuning in.